Chapter 4 of Tarzan and the Golden Lion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josh Herring of Abingdon, Virginia. Tarzan and the Golden Lion by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 4 What the Footprints Told. When Jodbal Ja, the Golden Lion, was two years old, he was as magnificent a specimen of his kind as the Greystokes had ever looked upon. In size, he was far above the average of that attained by mature males. In conformation, he was superb, his noble head and his great black mane giving him the appearance of a full-grown male, while in intelligence he far outranked his savage brothers of the forest. Jabalja was a never-ending source of pride and delight to the ape-man who had trained him so carefully, and nourished him cunningly for the purpose of developing to the full all the latent powers within him. The lion no longer slept at the foot of the master's bed, but occupied a strong cage that Tarzan had had constructed for him at the rear of the bungalow, for who knew better than the ape-man that a lion, wherever he may be or however he may have been raised, is yet a lion, a savage flesh-eater. For the first year he had roamed at will about the house and grounds. After that he went abroad only in the company of Tarzan. Often the two roamed the plain and the jungle hunting together. In a way the lion was almost equally as familiar with Jane and Korak, and neither of them feared or mistrusted him but toward Tarzan of the apes did he show the greatest affection. The blacks of Tarzan's household he tolerated, nor did he ever offer to molest any of the domestic animals or fowl. After Tarzan had impressed upon him in his early cubhood that appropriate punishment followed immediately upon any predatory excursion into the corrals or henhouses. The fact that he was never permitted to become ravenously hungry was doubtless the deciding factor in safeguarding the livestock of the farm. The man and the beast seemed to understand one another perfectly, it is doubtful that the lion understood all that Tarzan said to him, but be that as it may, the ease with which he communicated his wishes to the lion bordered upon the uncanny. The obedience that a combination of sternness and affection had elicited from the cub had become largely habit in the grown lion. At Tarzan's command, he would go to great distances and bring back antelope or zebra, laying his kill at his master's feet without offering to taste the flesh himself, and he had even retrieved living animals without harming them. Such, then, was the golden lion that roamed the primeval forest with his godlike master. It was at about this time that there commenced to drift into the ape-man rumors of a predatory band to the west and south of his estate, ugly stories of ivory raiding, slave-running, and torture, such as had not disturbed the quiet of the ape-man's savage jungle since the days of the sheik Amor ben Kator. And there came other tales, too, that caused Tarzan of the apes to pucker his brows in puzzlement and thought and then a month elapsed during which Tarzan heard no more of the rumors from the West. The war had reduced the resources of the Greystokes to but a meager income. They had given practically all to the cause of the Allies, and now what little had remained to them had been all but exhausted in the rehabilitation of Tarzan's African estate. "'It looks very much, Jane,' he said to his wife one night, as though another trip to Opar were on the books. "'I dread to think of it. I do not want you to go,' she said. You have come away from that awful city twice, but barely with your life. The third time you may not be so fortunate. We have enough, John, to permit us to live here in comfort and in happiness. Why jeopardize those two things which are greater than all wealth in another attempt to raid the treasure vaults? There is no danger, Jane, he assured her. The last time Werper dogged my footsteps, and between him and the earthquake I was nearly done for. But there is no chance of any such combination of circumstances thwarting me again. "'You will not go alone, John?' she asked. "'You will take Korak with you?' "'No,' he said. "'I will not take him. "'He must remain here with you, "'or really my long absences are more dangerous to you than to me. 
i shall take fifty of the waziri as porters to carry the gold and thus we should be able to bring out enough to last us for a long time and jadbalja she asked shall you take him no he had better remain here korak can look after him and take him out for a hunt occasionally i am going to travel light and fast and it would be too hard a trip for him lions don't care to move around much in the hot sun and as we shall travel mostly by day i doubt if jadbalja would last long and so it befell that tarzan of the apes set out once more upon the long trail that leads to opar behind him marched fifty giant waziri the pick of the warlike tribe that had adopted tarzan as its chief upon the veranda of the bungalow stood jane and korak waving their adieu while from the rear of the building there came to the ape-man's ears the rumbling roar of jadbalja the golden lion and as they marched away the voice of numa accompanied them out upon the rolling plain until at last it trailed off to nothingness in the distance his speed determined by that of the slowest of the blacks tarzan made but comparatively rapid progress opar lay a good twenty-five days trek from the farm for men travelling light as were these but upon the return journey laden as they would be with the ingots of gold their progress would be slower and because of this the ape-man had allotted two months for the venture his safari consisting of seasoned warriors only permitted of really rapid progress they carried no supplies for they were all hunters and were moving through a country in which game was abundant no need then for burdening themselves with the cumbersome impedimenta of white huntsmen a thorn boma and a few leaves furnished their shelter for the night while spears and arrows and the powers of their great white chief ensured that their bellies would never go empty with the picked men that he had brought with him tarzan expected to make the trip to opar in twenty-one days though had he been travelling alone he would have moved two or three times as fast since when tarzan elected to travel with speed he fairly flew through the jungle equally at home in it by day or by night and practically tireless it was a mid-afternoon the third week of the march that tarzan ranging far ahead of his blacks in search of game came suddenly upon the carcass of bara the deer a feathered arrow protruding from its flank it was evident that bara had been wounded at some little distance from where it had lain down to die for the location of the missile indicated that the wound could not have caused immediate death but what particularly caught the attention of the ape-man even before he had come close enough to make a minute examination was the design of the arrow and immediately he withdrew it from the body of the deer he knew it for what it was and was filled with such wonderment as might come to you or to me were we to see a native swazi headdress upon broadway or the strand for the arrow was precisely such as one may purchase in most any sporting goods house in any large city of the world such an arrow as is sold and used for archery practice in the parks and suburbs nothing could have been more incongruous than this silly toy in the heart of savage africa and yet that it had done its work effectively was evident by the dead body of bara though the ape-man guessed that the shaft had been sped by no practised savage hand tarzan's curiosity was aroused and also his inherent jungle caution one must know his jungle well to survive long in the jungle and if one would know it well he must let no unusual occurrence or circumstance go unexplained and so it was that tarzan set out upon the back track of bara for the purpose of ascertaining if possible the nature of bara's slayer the bloody spoor was easily followed and the ape-man wondered why it was that the hunter had not tracked and overtaken his quarry which had evidently been dead since the previous day he found that bara had travelled far and the sun was already low in the west before tarzan came upon the first indications of the slayer of the animal these were in the nature of footprints that filled him with quite as much surprise as had the arrow he examined them carefully and stooping low even sniffed at them with his sensitive nostrils improbable nay impossible though it seemed the naked footprints were those of a white man a large man probably as large as tarzan himself as the foster son of kala stood gazing upon the spoor of the mysterious stranger 
He ran the fingers of one hand through his thick black hair in a characteristic gesture indicative of deep puzzlement. What naked white man could there be in Tarzan's jungle, who slew Tarzan's game with the pretty arrow of an archery club? It was incredible that there should be such a one, and yet there recurred to the ape-man's mind the vague rumors that he had heard weeks before. Determined to solve the mystery, he set out now upon the trail of the stranger, an erratic trail which wound about through the jungle, apparently aimlessly, prompted, Tarzan guessed, by the ignorance of an inexperienced hunter. But night fell before he had arrived at a solution of the riddle and it was pitch dark as the ape-man turned his steps toward camp. He knew that his waziri would be expecting meat, and it was not Tarzan's intention to disappoint them, though he then discovered that he was not the only carnivore hunting the district that night. The coughing grunt of a lion close by apprised him of it first, and then, from the distance, the deep roar of another. But of what moment was it to the ape-man that others hunted? It would not be the first time that he had pitted his cunning, his strength, and his agility against the other hunters of his savage world, both man and beast. And so it was that Tarzan made his kill at last, snatching it almost from under the nose of a disappointed and infuriated lion, a fat antelope that the latter had marked as his own. Throwing his kill to his shoulder almost in the path of the charging Numa, the ape-man swung lightly to the lower terraces, and with a taunting laugh for the infuriated cat, vanished noiselessly into the night. He found the camp and his hungry waziri without trouble, and so great was their faith in him that they had not for a moment doubted that he would return with meat for them. Early the following morning, Tarzan set out again toward Opar, and directing his waziri to continue the march in the most direct way, he left them that he might pursue further his investigations of the mysterious presence in his jungle that the arrow in the footsteps had apprised him of. Coming again to the spot at which darkness had forced him to abandon his investigations, he took up the spore of the stranger. Nor had he followed it far before he came upon further evidence of the presence of this new and malign personality. Stretched before him on the trail was the body of a giant ape, one of the tribe of great anthropoids among whom Tarzan had been raised. Protruding from the hairy abdomen of the Mangani was another of the machine-made arrows of civilization. The ape-man's eyes narrowed, and a scowl darkened his brow. Who was this who dared invade his sacred preserves and slaughter thus ruthlessly Tarzan's people? A low growl rumbled in the throat of the ape-man. Sloughed with the habiliments of civilization was the thin veneer of civilization that Tarzan wore among white men. No English lord was this who looked upon the corpse of his hairy cousin, but another jungle beast in whose breast raged the unquenchable fire of suspicion and hatred for the man-thing that is the heritage of the jungle-bred. A beast of prey viewed the bloody work of ruthless man. Nor was there in the consciousness of Tarzan any acknowledgment of his blood relationship to the killer. Realizing that the trail had been made upon the second day before, Tarzan hastened on in pursuit of the slayer. There was no doubt in his mind but that plain murder had been committed, for he was sufficiently familiar with the traits of the Mangani to know that none of them would provoke assault unless driven to it. Tarzan was traveling upwind, and some half-hour after he had discovered the body of the ape, his keen nostrils caught the scent spore of others of its kind. Knowing the timidity of these fierce denizens of the jungle, he moved forward now with great wariness lest, warned of his approach, they take flight before they were aware of his identity. He did not see them often, yet he knew that there were always those among them who recalled him, and that through these he could always establish amicable relations with the balance of the tribe. Owing to the denseness of the undergrowth, Tarzan chose the middle terraces for his advance, and here, swinging freely and swiftly among the leafy boughs, he came presently upon the giant anthropoids. There were about twenty of them in the band, and they were engaged in a little natural clearing in their never-ending search for caterpillars and beetles, which formed important items in the diet of the Mangani. 
A faint smile overspread the ape-man's face as he paused upon a great branch, himself hidden by the leafy foliage about him, and watched the little band below him. Every action, every movement of the great apes recalled vividly to Tarzan's mind the long years of his childhood, when, protected by the fierce mother-love of Kala, the she-ape, he had ranged the jungle with the tribe of Kerchak. In the romping young he saw again Nita and his other childhood playmates, and in the adults all the great savage brutes he had feared in youth and conquered in manhood. The ways of man may change, but the ways of the ape are the same, yesterday, today, and forever. He watched them in silence for some minutes. How glad they would be to see him when they discovered his identity, for Tarzan of the Apes was known the length and the breadth of the great jungle as the friend and protector of the Mangani. At first they would growl at him and threaten him, for they would not depend solely on either their eyes or their ears for confirmation of his identity. Not until he had entered the clearing, and bristling bulls with bared fighting fangs had circled him stiffly until they had come close enough for their nostrils to verify the evidence of their eyes and ears, would they finally accept him. Then, doubtless, there would be great excitement for a few minutes, until, following the instincts of the ape mind, their attention was weaned from him by a blowing leaf, a caterpillar, or a bird's egg, and then they would move about their business, taking no further notice of him more than any other member of the tribe. But this would not come until after each individual had smelled of him, and perhaps pawed his flesh with calloused hands. Now it was that Tarzan made a friendly sound of greeting, and as the apes looked up, stepped from his concealment into plain view of them. I am Tarzan of the apes, he said. Mighty fighter, friend of the Mangani. Tarzan comes in friendship to his people. And with these words he dropped lightly to the lush grass of the clearing. Instantly pandemonium reigned, screaming warnings, the shes raced with the young for the opposite side of the clearing while the bulls, bristling and growling, faced the intruder. Come, cried Tarzan. Do you not know me? I am Tarzan of the apes, friend of the Mangani, son of Kala, and king of the tribe of Kerchak. We know you, growled one of the old bulls. Yesterday we saw you when you killed Gobu. Go away, or we shall kill you. I did not kill Gobu, replied the ape-man. I found his dead body yesterday, and I was following the spore of his slayer when I came upon you. We saw you repeated the old bull. Go away, or we shall kill you. You are no longer the friend of the Mangani. The ape-man stood with brows contracted in thought. It was evident that these apes really believed that they had seen him kill their fellow. What was the explanation? How could it be accounted for? Did the naked footprints of the great white man whom he had been following mean more then than he had guessed? Tarzan wondered. He raised his eyes and again addressed the bulls. It was not I who killed Gobu, he insisted. Many of you have known me all your lives. You know that only in fair fight, as one bull fights another, have I ever killed a Mangani. You know that, of all the jungle people, the Mangani are my best friends, and that Tarzan of the Apes is the best friend the Mangani have. How, then, could I slay one of my own people? We only know, replied the old bull, that we saw you kill Gobu. With our own eyes we saw you kill him. Go away quickly, therefore, or we shall kill you. Mighty fighter is Tarzan of the Apes. But mightier even than he are all the great bulls of Pakth. I am Pakth, king of the tribe of Pakth. Go away before we kill you. Tarzan tried to reason with them, but they would not listen. So confident were they that it was he who had slain their fellow, the bull Gobu. Finally, rather than chance a quarrel in which some of them must inevitably be killed, he turned sorrowfully away. But more than ever now was he determined to seek out the slayer of Gobu that he might demand an accounting of one who dared thus invade his lifelong domain. Tarzan trailed the spore until it mingled with the tracks of many men, barefooted blacks mostly, but among them the footprints of booted white men, and once he saw the footprints of a woman or a child, which he could not tell. 
The trail led apparently toward the rocky hills which protected the barren valley of Opar. Forgetful now of his original mission, and imbued only with a savage desire to wrest from the interlopers a full accounting for their presence in the jungle, and to meet out to the slayer of Gobu his just deserts, Tarzan forged ahead upon the now broad and well-marked trail of the considerable party, which could not now be much more than a half-day's march ahead of him, which meant that they were doubtless now already upon the rim of the valley of Opar, if this was their ultimate destination, and what other they could have in view Tarzan could not imagine. He had always kept closely to himself the location of Opar, in so far as he knew no white person other than Jane and their son Korak knew of the location of the forgotten city of the ancient Atlanteans. Yet what else could have drawn these white men, with so large a party, into the savage, unexplored wilderness which hemmed Opar upon all sides? Such were the thoughts that occupied Tarzan's mind as he followed swiftly the trail that led toward Opar. Darkness fell, but so fresh was the spore that the ape-man could follow it by scent, even when he could not see the imprints upon the ground. And presently, in the distance, he saw the light of a camp ahead of him. End of chapter